Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Demko. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast presented by Lancaster Archery Supply. Um, you know, with the growth in social media, and now today everybody has a, a cell phone or a smartphone, um, everybody can take pictures and video. And uh, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is, you know, when people are fortunate enough to harvest a deer or an elk or a turkey, uh, they have an opportunity to get some great photos, but maybe the images don't always come out the way they want. And that's due to a lot of different factors. Well, I'm, I'm super excited. We have two wonderful guests joining us here today. We're going to talk about how you can get some great photographs of your trophy, um, of your harvest, uh, do a really nice job, even if you're using your, your cell phone camera. So you have a um, memento or memory that's going to last you a lifetime. So I'm going to introduce Ron Spomer. Ron, I, um, you've been outdoor writer and um, communicator and photographer for, I want to say, more than four decades. Uh, I've been reading your work for, for many, many years, and you've hunted and fished and photographed, uh, oh, I guess, what, five or six different continents. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, super excited. And then we all... We also have Lance Kruger. Lance, uh, you and I have known each other uh, working together for the past several years. Uh, you do some incredible um, whitetail deer and turkey photography. As a matter of fact, I believe this is one of your photographs on the cover of our current June issue. Yep. That's the third cover I've had in a row with y'all. I had uh, the April, April, May, and then I had the June. Um, and then I've got the July coming up. So I don't know which one that was you showed uh, right there. I think that's the June issue. So that is a June issue. It looks like it's a velvet buck on there. And we usually try to have a, a good summertime buck on, on that issue. But uh, yeah, yep. great, great work. Yeah, thank you. So that I have three in a row with y'all uh, just lately. So that was nice to have. So thank y'all very much for that. Hey, Lance, is that that buck you keep in your backyard tied up? <laughs> no, I had to go all the way to Missouri from South Texas to get that one. Oh. But at least it wasn't Minnesota or Wisconsin or Canada where I had to go twice as far. <laughs> cool shot. Well, well, thank you both so much for joining. And, you know, we're, we're going to start with you, Ron. Ron, we, we, when I did the introduction, we talked about you've been hunting for many years. But let's back up a bit. How did you get started with hunting? What's your story? How did you get into hunting? Oh, it was pretty easy. I was just a country boy back in South Dakota. And my cousins hunted. My uncles hunted. My dad didn't. Um, and my mother was afraid of guns and didn't want us to have any. We couldn't even have BB guns, but every other kid in town and all of our cousins had them. So whenever we were on someone's farm, well, we got one and we went hunting sparrows in the barns and, and starlings and such. And so we just grew up with it. It was what kids did back in those days. And then, of course, in South Dakota, you're in the pheasant capital of the world. So you had pheasants all over and lots of duck hunting. And that's how I got started. As soon as I was old enough, I was off hunting. Um, I actually started hunting with a bow because you could legally bow hunt uh, under age. Well, with a firearm, you had to be 16 or older or have an adult with you. Well, the adults were too busy working. So as kids, we were on our own. But if we could grab a bow and legally be hunting with it, I was hunting cocktails and tree squirrels and uh, jackrabbits and deer and anything that was open and was legal with a bow. I have to ask you, do you remember your first big game harvest? Like, I I feel like everybody sort of remembers that story. What was that like? Or, or your first harvest, for that matter. 
Yeah, mine, my first harvest was, uh, gosh, a squirrel or a cottontail, probably. I remember my first pheasant, I was with my cousin, and he let me shoot it out of the ditch because that was standard practice back in those days. You'd, the farmers would drive around their property and stick a gun out of the window and pot pheasants for the, for the pot. That's why they called it potting pheasants. And I did that, and after that, I said, I'm going to be a sportsman and shoot him in the air. And after I got my first one in the air, that was the end of the ground spotting for me. <laughs> But the first deer, gosh, you know, we didn't even have deer back in those days. You you just didn't see them because they hadn't come back into the country yet. But I can remember the first ones. My aunt came running into the farmhouse from out in the garden, sh shouting, deer, deer, deer. And we all ran to the door and there was a doe and two fawns running across the July cornfield, um, bounding over there. And we would just stood there with our jaws open, marveling at these things because we'd never seen them before. And boy, that really got me going. So... Uh, gosh, I think it was probably within four years from then that I got my first bow. I think it was a Shakespeare uh, recurve. And I was out prowling in the woods and the creeks as these deer were just coming back and starting to learn all about them. And wow, what an adventure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and it's just, you know, I remember the first time I went deer hunting. And, you know, it's funny, we're a little bit opposite for me in Pennsylvania, where I live, had a rich history of deer hunting up in the mountains. And then they started to show up in the suburban areas and the more farmland areas where they weren't in as much in the 50s and the 60s. So um, my first year, uh, I took close to home with a bow as opposed to going up the mountains where all of my relatives and stuff grew up hunting. So uh, it was wonderful to hear you share that. Now, you know, I want to shift gears a little bit. Lance, you do some hunting, but... Um, you're an incredible photographer and you travel uh, literally from uh, south to north and east to west photographing deer and as well as other wildlife. Um, talk a little bit about how you got into that passion and pursuit. What drew you to wildlife photography? Well, actually, it was uh, kind of the opposite of what Ron's talking about, where my dad was an avid hunter. He was a gunsmith for 25 years and um, since before I was born. And um, he just, you know, basically got us in. He was into hunting and fishing. And uh, I fished since I was three. Um, still an avid bass fisherman. Love that. Uh, then at the age of 10, uh, got into hunting. But, it, you know, we lived in Texas or live in Texas. I've lived in Texas my whole life. But, you know, down here, everything's high dollar hunting to be able to shoot a deer. So, you know, because everything's privately owned, very little public yeah. land. So uh, we, you know, dove hunted and hunted and did stuff like that where we could go do it for free and so you know other than buying a license so um uh, we hunted i was an avid hunter um you know all the way through at 15 years old i um got the opportunity to or actually 16 years old i shot my first doe with a rifle and that was because my dad started managing a 2200 acre ranch here in south texas uh hunting ranch and cattle ranch and so he went from gunsmith to knowing this rich rancher that had this big ranch and hired my dad to manage his ranch. And so at that, I was 16 at the time, uh, had my first official job, even though I had mowed yards since I was 10 years old and, you know, bought my first truck, you know, with that, the money from uh, mowing yards. And so I got my first camera with $300. I bought a Canon AE-1 program camera, which is a film camera, all manual focus, manual everything with a 100 to 300 zoom instead of a 50 millimeter normal lens, like they sold at the time, that was the normal normal lens and um, started shooting photos out on the ranch. And uh, so I had my first opening to be able to photograph wildlife out there. And they had all kinds of exotic animals. They had zebras and 
ostrich and black buck antelopes and axis deer. And they even had rhinoceros on this place, black rhinos. So it was a really unique place. But I, and I photographed all that stuff, but the thing that I love photographing the most were the whitetail deer on the place. And the first thing I ever photographed that was whitetail oriented uh, was a whitetail doe with her fawn because it was during summer. And uh, that was the first uh, roll of film that I shot. And it was uh, Kodachrome 64 slide film way back in the day. And uh, but, and that was back in 1985. So it's been whatever that is, uh, 28 years, or 30, no, that's been like 30 something years ago. So um Anyway, I've uh, been shooting photos ever since. And, you know, I went from uh, getting out of college and going on assignment for a magazine the day after I graduated in December uh, to Montana to photograph mule deer for a magazine. And I've been traveling ever since. So uh, I, I hunted, got that passion for it. But I, I, we would, my dad would subscribe to several different hunting magazines. And so I would look at those magazines and just dream of taking photos like that. And so I had all the covers of magazines and cool inside shots that I would actually in my bedroom when I was a kid, I would staple them to the ceiling of my room and fall asleep looking at all those animals and magazine covers, never dreaming that I would ever have a photo on any of those magazines. I just wanted to shoot photos like those, like those magazines. And so that was embedded in my mind. And I would read those magazines from cover to cover. And um, that's what, you know, where the knowledge I think started of, you know, me getting to know how to, you know, hunt and how to get close to deer and all that kind of stuff. Because a lot of the information in the magazines is good for hunting as well as photographing. Because I use a lot of those techniques that I used as a hunter and that I learned in those magazines. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate that greatly because it, it, you talk about sort of the progression there. And, and let's start there. Like, you know, if somebody wants to get a, a really great uh, shot of, of an animal they took, uh, you have a lot of great tips you can probably share there as far as like, what do you think of as first when you're like, I see a lot of incredible deer and especially at night, the photo doesn't come out as good as it should. But, but a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of other things you need to think of, like the, the setup, the backdrop, what's behind the hunter, the animal and things like that. We, let's look at it from a 10,000 foot view. What would you recommend as the, the most important things to keep in mind if you're looking to start out setting up a great quality shot? Well, what I would recommend first and foremost is to document what's happening at the time, whether you're by yourself, try to shoot like selfie footage so that you can, you know, show that to others, how excited you were about shooting that deer. Uh, Or if you're, you've got your hunting buddy that's helping you trail the deer, have your hunting buddy, you know, if you shot the deer, have your hunting buddy shoot video of you and photos as y'all are tracking the deer and as you walk up on the deer and get documentation of through video and audio all those exciting words and other people will hear that and think man that sounds like a lot of fun i got to do it myself and document what is actually at the scene that the deer died and don't just think you got to drag the deer off somewhere and photograph him somewhere else i like to document what is there at the scene of the deer where he fell, how he fell, all that. And then take some pictures at that scene and just walk, you know, walk around the hunter and the deer and walk around them in a circle and look at all the different angles of what you can shoot. Cause you may have everything you want right there for the photo shoot. But if not, then there's some things that you can do to improve on it. Like, especially a lot of times deer will like try to, you know, run for the woods or, you know, into, you know, a ditch or something like that, where it's just choked with woods and brush. If you can't get any photos there, get what you can. And then I've got some, you know, 
tips and advice that I can give you to how to improve on the photos that you might get in the ditch where every, everything's like all blocked and, you know, too many weeds in the way and stuff like that. So, but my first thing to tell people is document what is actually there, what happened, where, you know, the scene of the, of the kill, that kind of thing and get photos of that. So that's my two cents on, on how to start it out. But then from there, you can go and you can improve on things, I think, in most uh, conditions. And so I can go into that uh, here in a minute. Yeah. And, and Ron, sure, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know you've photographed, I'm guessing, has to be hundreds of animals now during your career and what you think about when you're trying to set up the shot. And, uh, you know, for example, I'll, I'll speak just really briefly from my perspective. You got to remember, like, if we're taking pictures and we're going to use it in the magazine, you want to make sure that the animals presented well, the hunters presented well, but also that you want to make sure that you're respectful to the animal. You clean all the blood off. Uh, if there's weird branches or grass poking up, you try to make sure that you keep the setting, uh, as you said, Lance, natural, but you also want to try and sort of set it up so you get a good composition and layout in the shot. But uh, you've probably done this a lot longer than I have, so I'd love to hear some of your tips. Well, you know, Lance is definitely on the right track. You know, when you get there, don't immediately grab your buck and pull him into a more scenic location or something with a less cluttered background to get that classic hero shot. I think it's important to get the reality pictures that Lance is talking about. So I come at it from a wide angle, medium and telephoto. What can I do with the different aspects of my lens or my approach to the animal. I like to have an establishing shot that will say what Lance was suggesting. This is the habit that I was hunting in. You can see it. There's a long way over to where that deer is. He looks pretty tiny in the picture. But uh, then you get in closer to another shot, and then you get in really close, and you start showing the features of the deer. There's antlers, an, e an ear and an antler, maybe an eyeball, and, and the base of the antler, Oddball little things that most people never think to do, especially if you've got your smartphone camera. I mean, it's so easy to bang off a whole bunch of shots out of that thing yep. quickly. And it does all the exposure for you remarkably well, et cetera, et cetera. So you really need to concentrate on what you're seeing, the image, the composition. That's the big deal. Lighting and composition. Those are the two. doesn't require a $5,000 camera and a big fancy lens. It's the composition and the lighting, which I'm sure we'll get into. But yeah, just think about the big establishing shot. This is the habitat. This is where we're hunting. Then you're moving in on the deer, getting closer and closer as you take your shots. And then if you need to clean up a little bit of brush for a better view, do that afterward. But I like to leave the original stuff in there because it says, my friends will look at it and say, man, were you shooting through all that brush? I said, well, not quite, but the deer ran into it, you know, so there was a lot around there like that. Tells the story about where you were hunting. Yeah, and, and and I think that's so important. Both of you are sort of stressing, take it one step further, not just what we might call the hero shot or the trophy shot, but take it one step further and document that whole process. And, and, and you really do create a great series of memories when you do that. So thank you both for sharing that. And you know what, you mentioned it, so we're gonna jump into that because that is the other most important element and that is lighting. And lighting can mean a lot of things. You're dealing with different lighting situation when you're in pitch black at night and you have to do some kind of artificial lighting but you also can take advantage of the what they call the golden hour in the morning or in the evening when you have that great golden natural sunlight so let's talk a little bit about um how you want to think about your lighting if you're looking to take a a, a trophy shot of say a, a deer or an elk or whatever and, and maybe what are the things that people need to be conscious of as they're planning out their photograph you want me to answer that or you want Lance sure to sure go ahead 
I'm actually going to have you both chime in, but let's start with you, and then we're going to drop the lands. Well, I definitely avoid flash if you can. There are times when fill flash is nice. We can get into that later if we want to. But in general, that harsh look that you get from a flash on your camera built in is not really attractive. And with the speed that these cameras shoot these days, you really don't usually need that. So I would turn off the flash so you don't get that glared out mess going on there. Also, the eye of your deer, if he's dead for a while, you know, it'll start to glaze over and then you get that reflection from the tapetium later in the back and that looks terrible. I have a whole lot of photos like that in the file somewhere that I never use. <laughs> so avoid that. But yeah, take advantage of the natural light. Now, if it's a cloudy day, you're not going to have any highlights, but you're also not going to have any really dark shadows. Too many people think a bright sunny day is the best time to take pictures. And what you end up with is all these harsh, harsh shadows and you can't really see details into and it does not look all that attractive. I find that cloudy day photography on even on dead deer um, and the hero shots or anything else just are a lot easier to get an attractive look than that bright sun. So I will literally look for a shaded area on a hot sunny day or just a clear bright sunny day and I've got a dead deer lying out in the sun, I will look for a shady spot to drag him into so I get rid of those shadows. The other way to do it is with the fill flash, but then that gets a little bit technical and Lance can agree with this one. You've got to know what you're doing with a fill flash and have a lot more gear along with you. And then another option is to use some reflectors. If your buddies are along with you, you can carry a, a little handy fold-up reflector in your pack if you want, or use a white sheet or any large surface that will reflect a bit of light. And you put that to the side and just see what it does. Hold it up to the, to the animal at different angles and see if it doesn't bounce some nice light up in there to get rid of those ugly shadows. So there's some of the things you can do with lighting. And then others, of course, is you can try some sort of sexy backlighting, some strong side lighting, things that really look unusual and different. When you start to play around with it and really get into photography and understanding f-stops and all the rest of it, you learn how to manipulate. But it, just look at the natural light when you walk up on the scene and we can all picture that backlit where the fur of an animal is all highlighted, but he's actually the shadow side that you're looking at but it stands out against the background so nicely because of the rim light that we, we call it. So something different to look for. So just be aware of what the light's doing. I always tell people you're not photographing a dead deer or a live deer or your buddy hunting. You're photographing reflected light. Everything the camera sees, everything that you see is light reflected off of a physical object. So that's really what you're seeing, light. Yeah. Now, Lance, I, I I wanted to ask you. I'm I'm assuming when you're photographing live animals, you probably are trying to maximize your opportunities by being out first thing in the morning and late in the evening. And so, I'd love to hear your thoughts about how lighting comes into play, and if there's any other things that you think people need to keep in mind if you're looking for a really magnificent type shot that pops. Well, my philosophy on getting a great photograph is setting everything up to where your grandmother could take a great photo in that scenario over your shoulder. You know, it's not that I'm a great photographer. I'm great at setting things up, you know, and so that no matter who's taking the picture, you can take a great photo. And so the ideal situation is not to photograph the deer if it's after dark, you know, get photos of the scene of the, of the kill and stuff like that. But if it's not ideal, don't think you got to get those photos that night in the dark with flash where it's probably not going to be the best photo. So what I like to do is I, I like to plan to shoot photos the next morning 
at first daylight when the sun is just coming up over the horizon right at sunrise be out there have everything set up before the sun even rises you're gonna have to wake up early i know you're gonna probably be celebrating the night before because you shot this big buck that you'd you know been chasing for three years but the thing is get out there early and get things set up in advance figure out where the sun's going to come up in the morning you know if you want to have front light that shows everything about the deer there's not any real shadows on the deer or the hunter the problem is is the hunter will tend to squint in that situation yeah. you can do side lighting and set up you know just move the deer around have the guy move a little bit uh, for a different angle and you have side lighting that shows more texture and more depth in the photo but you have more um you know shadows and that kind of thing or you could do side lighting like Ron mentioned, but you got a problem with the sun getting into the, the lens and getting flare and having some problems with, you know, being able to get a good, you know, quality photo of the guy sitting there. So figure out what kind of lighting you want to try to do. But before you do that, there's some things, some tech tips and techniques that I like to use depending on the situation. If you're by yourself, you can't do all this stuff. It's harder to to do all this. If you've got somebody photographing you as the hunter, it makes it a lot easier because they can kind of direct you through what they want you to do. One of the things like you had mentioned before, Mark, that I like to do is I like to clean up the deer first. Uh, if the tongue's hanging out, nobody likes to see a tongue hanging out. Nobody likes to see blood all over the nose and all that kind of stuff. You want to make it not for the PETA people. You want to do it for other people that may be on the fence that that may gross them out. But if you show a deer looking like he's almost still alive, like, you know, he just, even though it was from the night before, show that deer in a tasteful manner. If you got blood all over your hunting clothes and stuff, put on some other camo clothing or something like that, or replace, replace that, you know, uh, pair of pants with a, you know, that doesn't have a blood, you know, soaked knee on it. Um, but I like to clean that deer off. And so I'll have, you know, bottles of water, paper towels to clean up, you know, around the mouth. A lot of people like to cut the tongue off. I don't because that to me, there's more blood that comes out of that. I like to just poke it back in the mouth. And so um, another thing you can use that's even better than water is to use formula 409. That really will get the, the, um, the blood off the deer's nose, off his mouth, around the, the you know entry and exit wound sites, stuff like that. But try to clean the deer up. And it's better if you do it the night before as soon as the deer is, is shot and you're done taking your pictures at the scene, you throw them in the back of the truck, you go to camp. That's when you want to clean him up because the, the less time that blood has had to harden, the easier it is to clean up. So those are a couple of things I like to do. Um, when you're there at the scene, uh, you've got the deer set up. He's cleaned up from the night before. Um, I also like to set the deer up because they're going to get rigor mortis uh, overnight. And so what I like to do if it's cool enough temperatures, you know, up in the Midwest or whatever during hunting season, you can set them up and, you know, put the deer in what I call the Africa pose is where they, you tuck all four legs under the deer and, you know, they're kind of like looking like they're, you know, bedded down. Or you can have the deer's legs out and kind of lay them on the side, but you can use a rope on his rack and hang it up to a tree limb. Or if you've got a cooler um, that you can, you know, position the deer and, you know, use those things and his natural uh, rigor mortis that will set in to hold him up and have his head up so that the guy can hold his rack without having to physically try to hold him up, especially when he's all stiff and he's just laying on, you know, on the ground or hung up in a tree. He's going to be straight and it's hard to twist that head around 
and get that, you know, head looking the way you want it and make things look natural because it was hung up or whatever. So I like to set them up using a rope. If their mouth's open, take, you know, a, some tape or something and tape their mouth shut so that when rigor mortis sits in, their mouth will stay shut. You won't have to worry about the tongue falling out and stuff like that. Um, then uh, uh, some other things that I like to do is, um, you know, put the legs how you want them, either in that Africa pose, which some people like that, or the other pose. If you want to do photos of him laying on his side, have him that the legs will be going toward the camera and then have the head turned toward the camera. And imagine thinking your head what kind of photos you want to try to get of them. Um, and also when you get there to the spot, when you found the location, uh, you want to lay the rifle over the wound. If it's a big gaping hole from a mechanical broadhead or something like that, use the bow handle to kind of cover that up. Um, you can also use snow or leaves or whatever. If you've already gutted the deer out to kind of cover up that, you know, cut area, the op open part of the deer. But also, um, you know, I, I prefer it if you can photograph the deer um, when he's before he's been gutted. That's even better. Um, if, you know, you shoot the deer midday or something like that, and you're going to do a photo shoot that afternoon, and it's not too long that you can leave the guts in there for the photo shoot, you can have that deer looking full because when you, you know how it is when you gut them, they're at the flank, you know, behind the rib cage, it gets all sunken in. But if you do have to gut them, if it's, you know, overnight, you don't want to leave that deer overnight with the guts in it, which if it's cool enough, I think you can, you know, keep it, you know, keep it fine and safe and all that kind of stuff. Um, if, but if you do gut them out, you can take like uh, feed bags or bags of ice, put them inside and have that fill up the, the you know, rib cage and behind the rib cage and fill in that flank area and make that deer look like he's as thick as when he had all his guts in there. So he doesn't look like a deflated balloon, you know, partially deflated balloon. And then you can, if you do have that, that cut on the, you know, where you uh, field dressed him, then you can put, you know, snow or, or uh, leaves or something like that on, you know, around over that uh, site where he was, um, uh, where it was cut. And that way, you know, if you have the deer laying on his side to have the legs toward the photographer, but if you have him on his belly, you're not going to see that. So it's not that big a deal. But if you have bags, like, you know, corn bags, or you have um, bags of ice or whatever inside of him, that's going to fill him up so that he looks like he, he did, you know, did normally when he was alive. Um, then another thing that I like to do is I will take uh, I've got several friends that are taxidermists and I will ask them to order me uh, eyes, some taxidermy eyes that are made of glass uh, uh -huh. that they would use normally on a, on a, you know, a, a mounted deer. Those look like really thick contact lenses. And so what I like to do, because when you take a photo with a flash or even with the sunlight behind you and it hits, hits that eyeball of a dead deer, their eyes dilate whenever they die you're going to get what they call steel eye or red eye, that kind of thing, especially if you're using a flash. One way to make that deer look not so dead is you take those taxidermy eyes and I wet the inside of them. They're, they're curved, they're, they're concave shaped on the backside and in the same shape as the eyeball of the deer. And you just wet them inside and out. And then you just slip them under the, um, the eyelids and uh, it goes over the eye. When you take flash photos, you get a perfect reflection as if it was a live deer. And so it looks very, very natural. Uh, but you got to be careful. Like if you're photographing, like let's say somebody shoots a stone sheep or something like that, or, you know, a bighorn ram, those animal eyes, you know, are, you know, they have like a slit in them. You want to make sure that that is that slit. If you don't put a deer eye in a, 
in a bighorn sheep eye uh, uh, mount because it's not going to look right. You need to have eyes for a bighorn sheep if you're going to be going on a bighorn sheep hunt. So if you go on some specific animal hunt, get some eyes from a taxidermist. You know, they'll cost you 20, 30 bucks, maybe 50 bucks for the really super, you know, accurate ones. And uh, get those eyes and have them in your pack so that if you are successful, you do get a, you know, a, sh a sheep, then you can put the eyes in there and they're the right, correct kind of eyes, but make sure you orient them properly. Okay. Um, so those are some of the things that I like to do in advance, getting the animal set up. Uh, but it, it depends every situation. Sometimes you're leaving the next morning and you can't. So you have to do a photo shoot at night. Just yeah. do what you can. Do as much as you can. And as much as you're willing to do, you know, and as much as the hunter's willing to do. So try to do as much of those things that you can to have things look as, as tasteful and as realistic as you can for the, in, you know, the photos that you end up getting. That was incredible. The tips you just shared there. So thank you so much for that. I mean, I've, I've, I've worked in different ways with a lot of those things over here, but that was just a wealth of knowledge. So thank you. You know, I'm going to take a quick break here. And then Ron, I have one last question for you, but uh, I want to remind everybody that uh, we're presented by Lancaster Archery. For all your bow hunting needs, visit LancasterArchery.com. We've got the gear, we've got the knowledge, we've got the passion. Uh, and Ron, I wanted to ask you something because we talked about this in the very beginning, but we didn't get in depth. And um, we were talking a little bit about the composition and setting up the shop, but I wanted to ask you as far as, even if you're using your, your cell phone, your smartphone, angles that you like to set up sometimes i see some really great deer and, and hunter shots but it's a weird angle where somebody's standing over them not only might you get a shadow on them what are your favorite positions for the person taking the photograph so you get a really compelling shot of the hunter with his or her trophy excellent question you want to get down to the eye level of your subject whatever it is so if it's the hunter with a dead deer you're i'm going to be belly down on the ground shooting level with them or slightly up you get up standing and you shoot down and everything diminishes. It's just not a flattering position. So think about getting down to the eye level of the deer or the hunter. Another thing I want to comment on, though, is mm -hmm. I really like the shots that emphasize not the look at me, I'm the hero, I shot this big deer. We're all going to have those for our memory books. But for an aesthetically pleasing shot for the general public, something that captures what you feel walking up on that animal that shows respect for not just the animal, but for yourself and your heritage as a hunter and what you've just accomplished. It's difficult for non-hunters to understand why we want to brag about their trophy bucks we shot. And I always say, well, mm -hmm. it's like the you see in a paper of the the record pumpkin at the fair and the giant tomato and all the people love to show what they've accomplished. And who doesn't want to show the accomplishment of taking a beautiful big animal like this? But you don't have to always make it about you smiling like a hero behind it. Walk up on the animal and look at it and think about all that you've gone through to get this animal and you don't have to be looking at the camera. The camera can catch you looking at the deer, looking pensive or thoughtful or respectful. People pray and give thanks when they take animals, things like that. Capture that in a natural sense if you can. Even if you're using a tripod and a self-timer to get yourself doing it, instead of looking at the camera, just hold an antler in your hand and look down at that deer, run your hand over his body to showcase the size of him and different things. And get a lot of pictures like that because that really captures what we're out there doing. 
Thank you so much. And, and, and you know, I, I think having those more natural poses really adds to the photo. So uh, it, it's a great point that, uh, you know, we think about all the time, but uh, a person getting their picture taken might want that hero shot gripping the antler. So thank you. It's a, it's an incredible alternative. You know, we're, we're just about out of time here today for the bow hunting podcast, but I want to give you both one last chance. Are there any other things that you wanted to mention or share for people who are looking to take better photographs in the field before we wrap up here today? We'll start with you, Ron. I would just say, take the time to do it. Too often we get all excited and we get the animal and we dress it out and call our buddies and drive it around to take it to camp. And, oh, shoot, I forgot to take pictures. And then you've got all that extra work to do that Lance was talking about. You have got to commit to putting in the time. That's just too often as a, photog as a photographer myself, hunters won't even stand for it. You know, it's like, okay, okay, that's enough pictures already. Let's go. And then the next year they're going, you got any better pictures of that? Well, no, because you wouldn't take the time to pose for me. Take the time. Thank you. Lance, anything else you'd like to add? Yeah. Um, as part of the setup of what I was talking about before, getting the deer ready, you know, cleaning him off. And, you know, if you set up a photo shoot for the next morning is pick the location of where you want to try to shoot photos based on what's going to give you good photos. What's going to give you the photo that grandma can take a great photo next to you. One of those is to get that animal away from like a tree line or away from thick brush. Because if you are set up 10 feet from a wood line, that deer's antlers are going to blend in with the branches in the background. And it's going to be hard to tell how many points he has. And sometimes it'll make him look like he's got a drop time. And, and the viewer will say, oh, he's got a drop time. Oh, no, that was a branch behind him. Well, you don't want to do that. You want them to see everything that this deer has. So what I like to do is separate the deer from the background. So if he was shot, you know, shot in the woods, but there's a field, a harvested cornfield or something that was by your stand or you were set up on the edge of, but he died in the woods. Well, go out into that cornfield, you know, that's harvested or a meadow or something like that and try to get him away from that background so that his rack will not blend in with the background. Plus, with your hunter, don't have him sitting right behind it with camouflage clothing with branches on it also. I like to uh, get the guy like behind the rib cage, turn the head of the antler of the deer toward the camera, you know, kind of at a 90 degrees to his uh, the way his body's going and put his rack behind a blurry background or even the sky. The sky is great. You know, and that's what Ron was talking about. Get down low, shoot up toward the sky and have that deer's rack against something that is you know, not in sharp focus behind it. And so by separating your stuff, yourself from that uh, wooded tree line or whatever, you can separate out because there's this thing in photography called depth of field where you focus on the subject and the background is going to be more blurred out than what's in focus. And so the further you can get that deer away from the background, the more separation you're going to get between that deer's antlers and that, you know, uh, you know, I don't know what the word is, uh, confusing background or whatever the word is, but you just don't want them to blend in. And so I use that with a lot of my cover photos and magazines. I blur the background out. I try to get the deer away from the brush if I can and use a shallow depth of field in, in the photos that I shoot with my cameras. Uh, but you can do the same thing with a cell phone, but you just got to get them further away than I have to with my big telephoto lenses with, you know, variable apertures. So you, that's what I would recommend. Just get them away from the background, get them separated out so that you can see everything that the deer has. And then also show that deer from different angles, walk around that guy and shoot photos from different angles, 
and move that head around so that you can see from, you know, from each side, you can see the back side of it. You can see the front. You can see all the different angles on it. Um, plus do like what Ron mentioned right in the beginning, do some detail shots, maybe his hand holding the beam and showing, you know, like a double row point or something, something that's unique about that deer, you know, or if it's, you know, got real cool knurling on the, the bases, shoot tight photos of that and try to, you know, most cameras, you know, cell phone cameras have, you know, macro features on them. So you can get in there tight and shoot some, you know, cool detail shots that really show some details you might not see in the overall shot. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Ron, I didn't I didn't know if you had anything else you wanted to add there. I thought you were going to say something, but. Yes, I was just going to say, use your telephoto to help isolate the deer from its background, to get rid of that cluttered background. Anytime you increase the telephoto effect, that helps. So even on a smartphone, if you've got your standard wide angle, you've got these days extra lenses or you can move it up to 3X or something, that will help blur out the background. Well, um, Ron, Lance, thank you so much for taking time to join us and sharing um, all of your knowledge and these great tips. And for everybody who's listening to Bow Hunting Podcast, take a little time, set up your shot, um, make sure you position yourself well, and you can really leave with some great photographs and memories of your hunt. We'll see everyone next time on the Bow Hunting Podcast. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.